Somebody ought to praise him tonight because there's miracles happening now. Somebody ought to lift your hands and magnify him because there's miracles in the house tonight. Because his presence is in the building tonight. Hallelujah. I just need a witness in the building that he's a God of the impossible. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible to them that believe. I dare you to shout tonight over impossibility. I dare you to praise him tonight over what looks impossible. I dare you to worship tonight in the face of what looks like impossibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody give him a great praise in this place. Woo! How many of you understand tonight? Have you ever prayed for a miracle? Raise your hand. Do you understand tonight that there is no such thing as a miracle without impossibility? And so if you're going to experience the miraculous, you got to be willing to walk in some impossible uh, situation. I just need 50 crazy people that came to have church tonight. Uh, when you ask God for a miracle, uh, be prepared for the impossible. Uh, but baby, uh, if you've got impossibility in front of you, uh, you're in the middle of a miracle uh, in the making. Uh, somebody ought to go ahead and praise him over that right now. Uh, your impossibility uh, is the breeding ground uh, of the miraculous. Uh, your impossibility uh, is the potential uh, of the miraculous tonight. Uh, somebody give him a praise. Whoa. As a matter of fact, I have found that at times God will allow you to get into impossible situations just so that you don't get twisted and get yourself the glory when the miracle comes. God wants to make sure that you're not going to try to write a 12-step book on how you did it, on how you became. Oh, no, 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 no. When he finishes doing the work in your life, you're going to look up and say, if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side, if you're willing to give him the praise, he'll give you the miracle. If you're willing to give him the glory, he'll do the impossible. Somebody ought to release the praise before the miracle ever happens tonight. Somebody ought to release your worship before the impossible even takes place. Yes! 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 Woo! 
See, I was just singing a song to a good medley. Nothing's impossible. All things are possible. It's happening now. But there was some of y'all that you were prophesying over your life. You were doing more than singing a song. You were touching the throne of heaven, saying, God, all things are possible. He's doing it now. Somebody walked into the building tonight with faith in your spirit. Somebody walked into the building tonight. Oh, one more time, give God a great praise. If you know he's a God of the impossible tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. High five about eight people on the way to your seat. Uh, tell them he is. He's a God of the impossible. <laughs> wow. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord on Tuesday night? You're blessed tonight. I said, you're blessed tonight. I'd rather be here than the best hospital in Fort Myers, Florida. You're blessed tonight. I'd rather be here than the fanciest jail cell in Lee County tonight. You're blessed tonight. I'd rather be here than six feet under her where I should have been. You're blessed tonight. Glory to the name of Jesus. Anybody excited about what we feel at Tuesday night service? Amen. I want to quickly say what a privilege and an honor it is to have every one of our guests in the house of the Lord tonight. Rock Church, would you help me one more time? Give God a great big praise tonight. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to say what a privilege it is tonight to have pastor and hold on a second. I got a text message. Amen. Anybody excited to have the entire Bradenton church with us tonight? Come on, stand up and show them some love tonight. Oh, you can do a little bit better than that. What an honor to have Pastor and Sister Parker in the house of the Lord tonight. And some of the great saints from Calvary Apostolic Church in Bradenton. And how many of you are aware that God is absolutely breaking walls in Bradenton, Florida? God is bringing unprecedented revival to Bradenton, Florida. And we're so excited about what God is doing there. I just saw a post a couple of days ago. They had 50 people at outreach on Saturday, right before Christmas Eve, 50 people showed up and said, let's reach our city. How many of you excited about that? Come on, Brother Parker, greet us tonight in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen. Can't see nobody, Bishop. <laughs> hey, it's good to be in the Rock Church tonight. And uh, Bishop, 
I love you. Thank you for your leadership. And just a quick testimony. Bishop was talking about miracles and the impossible. Seven years ago, me and my wife came home from ITW, Hope Corps, Manhattan. And Bishop, we started a bus route in, in, in uh, Racine, Missouri. We started reaching out to our city. We found a lot of children, but two of them became more than just Sunday morning bus riders. They would call on Sunday evening and say, can we go to church with you tonight? On Wednesdays, can we go to church? And then it came to where, can we go on outreach with you? And they become an extension of our family. And time and us moving, we lost connection. And my wife kept them in connection with the church. And then that got disconnected. And uh, didn't really know where they were. My wife kept a burden on their, her heart. And God kept that love in her heart. And uh, long story short, my wife has told the story here at the ladies' meeting uh, about Wyatt and Abby. And, you know, sometimes things do look like an impossibility. But I have a God that shows up in the middle of the impossibility. <laughs> well, we've been working for quite a few months trying to get the paperwork done to bring them to Bradenton, Florida to be part of our family. And uh, things seem to be moving slow as government always does. But the caseworker called my wife and said, I'm working on getting Wyatt and Abby a pass for Christmas out of the blue. And uh, tonight they sit here at the Rock Church in the house of God. He was 10 and she was eight when I baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ with no family in the house of God. Hey, bus ministry matters. Bus ministry matters. For seven years, I don't know how long it was after they were baptized before we moved away and things changed. But there was a lot of water under the bridge. There was a lot of life lived in these young people's life. And my wife found out they were going to get to come. She started praying and fasting and, and asking God, when they get here, I want you to refill them with the Holy Ghost. Because not only were they baptized at the age of 10 and 8, but they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues, just like the Bible said. Sunday night at church, Brother Wyatt came to the altar praying. And he's kind of quiet and I had to put my head down, but he was talking in that other tongue as God renewed him in the Holy Ghost. Sunday, we baptized Sister Abby again. She wanted to be baptized. She was eight when she was baptized the first time, and we baptized her again. And last night about midnight, my wife and my daughter was over at the church praying, and why Abby wanted to go join them. My wife texted on our family text and said, Abby just received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. Won't he do it? He's a good God. 
Today, I, me and my son were out and about, and we stopped at a restaurant we never stopped at before. I was kind of wanting to feel, eat, feel, feel my roots, and it was called the Saucy Crawfish. Well, I might go in there and get some crawfish. They need to stick to shrimp and crab. They did real good, but they didn't do so good on the crawfish. But it was a divine moment. You ever had any of them in your life? Not unexpected. See, the paperwork is held up in the state of Florida, in Manatee County, by, by the government officials that think that they're in control of what's going on. Two of our children off of our bus route that come to our church, they actually ride Brother and Sister Hutchison's bus three. They walked into the restaurant with their mom, with their mom and we said hi and they went and sat down and I sat at my table and I had crab and shrimp and all that all over me. I don't know if you ever eat boiled food, but it's a little messy. They actually brought gloves and a bill. I used the bill, but not the gloves. And so I got up to go to the restroom to wash up and get ready to leave. And I felt in the Holy Ghost, Bishop, this is an opportunity to, for you to show a family that you care. It's an opportunity to you show a mom that the children come every Sunday, but you can show the mom that there's a pastor that loves them. And so I went back out and the waiter comes out and I said, hey, I want that ticket for that. I didn't know. I, I, I wasn't wanting to, to make any big deal, but I got the ticket. I paid it. I walked over to the table and I introduced myself as the pastor to her children. And hey, let me tell you something. Them children riding their bus as part of my church. Them numbers, they, they come in. I've got some that's been riding a bus for two years. Ain't nobody making them. Ain't nobody waking them up. They're riding and coming to the house of God on their own. So I go over and introduce myself. I said, your children uh, come to our church. And I, I'm Pastor Darren Parker. And I just wanted to meet you. And, and uh, she said, I, I, I started inviting her to church, Bishop. And she said, oh, I work a lot. And I have two jobs. I said, well, what do you do? She said, oh, I'm a caseworker with the Department of Family Services in Manatee County. And she said, I place foster kids. And I work on... I said, you do, and I just sat down at the table. I said, I got to talk to you. I said, you see, I got two kids at the house on a Christmas pass from the state of Missouri that we're wanting to bring into our home and, and give them a life and take care of them. And, and she began to listen to the story. She said, I don't work with out of state. She said, but I know who does and my supervisor can help. So I gave her my information and my number and just about two hours after leaving the restaurant, she said, I've already got in contact with the people that's over the ICPC, which is the out of state transfer. She said, we're gonna be working on this. Hey, God will pay to put a divine moment in your situation. When, when hey, I've done talk to the lawyers, I've done tried to hire attorneys to get involved and, and they said, well, our hands are tied at this moment, but my God's hands is never tied. My God will lead you to a place where you've never been. He'll put the right contact right in front of you. Now, I could have been hard-headed and say, I ain't spending my money. That's the problem with some people. 
You're so tight you won't let God work. God is standing on the threshold of heaven saying, hey, I want to open these doors and windows and pour you out blessings that you can't contain. I'm scared I'm going to miss my Starbucks. Lord, help us, Jesus. <laughs> you ever seen Brother Jerry Riley talk about the water hose? And the God? God blesses you to be a blessing. I, I'm just to give this back. Let me tell you the, tell this one story. When I came home from Hope Corps, never done outreach, never worked with people. I've been in church all my life. Been comfortable, complacent, sitting on a pew. But I came back, something was different. I had found my purpose in the kingdom of God on the lower east side of Manhattan, New York. Take a country boy and put him in his city and he's scared to death. I came home and I began to do began to do outreach. I'm not telling you to do this because this was very unwise on my part, but I, God used it to show me some things. Bishop, we found a family, a husband and a wife and a small baby living in a house with no electric and no food. I had just come off of this mission trip to New York and money was tight, real tight. And I found out they was living in this apartment with no electric and no food and I talked to the wife I said we don't have the money and it's three or four hundred bucks it wasn't a great amount so we don't really have the money we just come back from New York and I've been off work for nine days I don't have vacation it's just self-employed ain't always the greatest but I went I just had a burden I went to a one of them little loan places that you borrow 300 and pay back 700. Don't do this. <laughs> Bishop, don't to tell them, don't do this. And I borrowed the money to pay the electric bill for this family. And I got the electric on. And no sooner did I get the electric on, they had a knockdown drag out right in front of me. I was just trying to get the baby away from them before they hurt the baby. They come to church a little bit and they went and did their own deal and went back to the life they always live. A moment of giving, not knowing exactly what I was doing, just wanting to do something for the kingdom of God. My wife called me and read to me Proverbs, I believe it's seven, chapter 17, not positive, but it said, he that lendeth to the Lord or he that uh, have pity on the poor lendeth to the Lord and that which he give he shall repay. And I just said, I said, God, your credit's good with me. I'm doing it to your glory. I'm doing it for you. You know what I did, Bishop? I unkeep the hose. I see, see, for water to flow through a hose, it's got to be open and flowing. For your blessings to flow you got to open the hose. You want more? Put more out. You know what I learned? It wasn't about me. Oh, there's been times in Bradenton, Florida where my checking account was overdrawn. It wouldn't be. Real deal, ain't it, Bishop? It's a real deal. But you know what? God began to open the windows of heaven 
and pour out blessings that we don't even know how to contain. We just bought bus number three, started our third route, had 50 on outreach Christmas Eve. Not only did we go on outreach Christmas Eve and feed the homeless and do street ministry, we had three brand new children in Sunday school Sunday morning from that outreach. God wants to work, but who will let him? I love you, Rock Church. Thank you for your prayers and your love and your support. Come on, let's give God a praise for that testimony tonight. Come on, if you want God to use you, give him some praise tonight. Come on, I don't want to just hear about testimonies. I want to be a testimony. Come on. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. We're so ecstatic about everything that God is doing in Bradenton. And uh, we love and appreciate Pastor and First Lady Parker and uh, their team, their family, this church so very, very much. Amen. Amen. And uh, uh, this past Sunday, how many of you were blessed by what the Holy Ghost did in the house? When the Lord finished here Sunday, James was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of his sins and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then Twana was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of her sins and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then Natasha was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of her sins and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Pastor Parker, she's the mom to some of our bus kids that have been coming. Amen. And uh, we're grateful for that. Somebody shout Saturday. This Saturday night, somebody shout 1030, will be our New Year's Eve celebration service. Woo, I'm just telling you, ain't no party like a New Year's Eve party at the Rock Church. And you don't want to miss it. We're going to bring in the brand new year celebrating, having a move of God in this place and we're going to be preaching the theme for the new year. I'm excited. Y'all ain't ready. We want to invite you to come casual, dressed casual on Saturday evening for the service. And we encourage everybody that can to wear TRC merch. So if you've got shirts from any of the conferences or any of that kind of merch, we encourage you to wear it on Saturday night. We're going to have a Holy Ghost time. There's going to be food and fellowship following the service. And then somebody shouts Sunday, New Year's Day. There will be one service at 11 a.m. I got a whole lot less shouting right there. Amen. You cannot start out the new year and not have church on Sunday. Amen, somebody. And we're going to come expecting God to do great things at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. It's going to be a great, great time in the Holy Ghost. 
Uh, amen. Let's continue to pray for those that are uh, traveling. We still have many, many families uh, out of town, out of state, working their way back home this week. Pray that God's hand would be upon them and uh, remind you to uh, pray this evening for, uh, I know we already mentioned this, uh, but for Sister Alicia, uh, Brother Daniel, Sister Moesha, and Sister Tricia are there at the hospital with her this evening. And uh, we're praying that, that uh, God would move on her behalf. Amen, somebody. Did you come ready for the word of the Lord in this place tonight? Come on, did you come ready for the word of the Lord in this place tonight? Stand with me if you would all over this house. We're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 22. And while you're turning there, if you have been here, then you know we have been in the middle of a holiness series for many weeks. And tonight I want to continue in this series. And uh, if you have not been here or maybe you have not been able to make it to every midweek service, I absolutely encourage you uh, to jump online, the YouTube channel, SoundCloud, podcast, whatever platform you want to get on and go back and listen to every one of these lessons in this series and uh, let God establish your life on his word. Amen. How many of you were here Tuesday before last, I believe it was, when we taught about standards? Amen. I want to continue tonight. This will be a separate lesson, but I virtually want to pick up where we left off and I want to get into the word of the Lord tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse number five says, the woman, somebody say the woman, shall not wear now, we would have lost 90% of the church world right there. Ain't nobody going to tell me what I can wear, what I can't wear, what I said. But the word of God says, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, if you want to do a, a, an interesting study, just study the word abomination in Scripture. Everywhere the Lord says it is an abomination unto him. And you will understand the impetus of this Scripture tonight. To be an abomination means extreme hate or disgust, even to the point of wanting to vomit. And God said, when a woman puts on a man's garment, when a man puts on a woman's garment, it is an abomination unto me. And for a few moments tonight, I simply want to teach or preach from this subject no more confusion. No more confusion. 
Turn around, tell five or six people standing around you tonight, no more confusion. Oh, if you're grateful for the word of the Lord, clap your hands one more time and give God a great big praise in this place tonight. Amen. You may be seated. I am not going to build a lengthy foundation tonight. I want to jump straight into the context of our scripture. We understand that in the word of the Lord, there were specific things that God instructed or that God required of humanity that sometimes had specificity to just a certain group of people. Its application was narrow in focus. We find this when we study things like the Levitical priesthood and uh, the Nazarite vow. And we understand things like the uh, requirement for circumcision from old Israel and its significance to them in the word of the Lord. But there are many principles in the word of God uh, that have nothing to do with the specificity of particular groups of people, uh, but they reveal to us the nature of God. They show us things that are indicators that teach us how our God feels about particular things. And how many of you understand we serve a God that never changes? He is immutable. As a matter of fact, the word of God tells us that in him there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. I'm glad I serve a God that you don't have to wonder what he's thinking. You don't have to wonder how he feels about it. You don't have to worry about him changing. He is the rock of my salvation. And so if God loves something, then God loves it no matter what happens. God loves a cheerful giver. He don't matter if the giver's Tall, short, fat, skinny, good-looking, ugly. You know ugly is just an acronym. U-G-L-Y. You got to love yourself because ain't nobody else want to be around. <laughs> I'm just playing. God loves, but there are also things that God hates. There are things that are displeasing to God. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what century that you were born in. It doesn't matter which dispensation that you're living in. There are some things that God hates and he never changes. If he hated it in the book of Genesis, then he hates it in the book of Acts. And he hates it in the book of Revelation. And he hates it even in the world today and when you begin to study the word of the Lord it is very clear that God made a very clear distinction between men and women's apparel God did not 
communicate to us the idea of a unisex clothing approach. But he made the adornment, the clothing, the garment of a man and a woman distinctly different and part of their identity. The book of Genesis says that he created a male and female. Now, you understand tonight that up until the 19th century, Society as a whole, and especially the United States, which despite the agenda to erase American history and rewrite it, this nation was founded on a love for God and his word. I'm going to say it again. The United States was founded on a love for God and his word. And so in the United States up until the 19th century, society broadly understood and accepted and, and, and realized that the universal symbol for a man and a woman looked like this. Put that up there for me, media. It didn't require a Bible study. It didn't require a college class to teach you. It didn't require special education or enlightenment from the woke agenda. But we knew because there are some things that even nature itself teaches us. We understood that men's apparel were pants. And woman's apparel was a dress. As a matter of fact, women did not wear pants until World War II. And it was during this time, with the deployment of so many heads of households, men that went to war, with the combination of the Industrial Revolution that women began to have to work in factories, producing weapons and airplanes and many of the supplies used in warfare. And so when they entered the workplace, they were forced to change out of their clothing, their, their, their women's clothing, and to put on the clothing that their husbands wore to work. And it was a shame for these women to wear these clothes. They were embarrassed to have to wear these clothes and to work in them. And as a matter of fact, they would get done with work. And before they even left the factories, they would change back into their clothing because they did not want to be seen outside of the factory wearing these clothes. And so it was the introduction, it was a shift, it was a catalyst of change that began to happen in society in the way that we fundamentally looked at men and women's apparel. And I'm going to break down some of the layers tonight 
to show you the degradation of society and the fabric of God's moral compass concerning men and women's apparel in the United States. In 1989, California State Senator Rebecca Morgan became the first woman to wear trousers or pants in a U.S. State Senate. She's the first one in 1989. Hillary Clinton was the first woman to wear pants in an official U.S. First Lady portrait. Why? Because we always understood that America was built on, on the foundation of the truth of God's word. In Orthodox Jewish belief, and I've had the privilege of spending time in Israel and in Jerusalem, and while I was there, I paid particularly close attention to many of their customs and traditions as it relates to the context of scripture. And in Orthodox Jewish belief, the space between a woman's legs is considered to be a private area. The entire space that separates her legs is considered to be a private area and therefore must be covered by a garment. For a period of time in the 1970s, now remember from our previous studies that the 1970s marked a decade of transition and the entrance of a culture of absolute rebellion in the United States of America. It was in the 70s that anarchy began to arise and the idea that, that we would not follow any kind of establishment or order or authority, it began to unfold in the 1970s. And so for a period in the 1970s, pants became quite fashionable for women. This might be in part due to the passage of Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972, which ruled that dresses could not be required of girls to wear to school. Prior to this time, young ladies could not even go to school unless they were addressed dressed appropriately in women's clothing. They would not even let you attend classroom. But in the 1970s, the spirit of rebellion against order, against spiritual order, uh, was so prevalent uh, that it began to shift the fabric uh, of the United States. At this time, Hollywood was already being used as a tool of the enemy. And so Hollywood began to use actresses to promote this idea of women wearing men's apparel. Actress Marlene Dietrich and Katherine Hepburn, who were two famous actresses, were often photographed in pants 
from the 1930s and helped to make pants acceptable for women. The media understood the power of using these icons of influence that they understood the grooming of society, that whatever idols that you put in front of them, however they lived their life, would become a normalization to society. And so if we put these icons of influence in front of people long enough, then we can begin to normalize and we can begin to dilute the stigma attached to women wearing men's apparel and so over and over again they would put the imagery of these iconic influential women in front of the United States trying to familiarize women across America with the idea that women could now wear men's apparel can I just preach for a moment that not much has changed today the enemy uses idolatry and influencers uh, to try and change uh, and shape uh, the behavior uh, of humanity. Why do you think uh, that advertisers uh, spend billions and billions of dollars uh, on media influencers? Uh, That's how they become full-time as media influencers. Uh, Companies recognize uh, people are listening to them. And so if we can get them uh, to endorse our product, uh, then we can increase our sales uh, and our influence and revenue. Uh, You think it's just about clothes uh, and the car you drive uh, and the food you eat, but there is an enemy uh, that has a real agenda uh, and he understands the power uh, of idolatry uh, and media. That's why you had better guard uh, what you are listening to. Uh, That's why you had better guard uh, what you're putting in front uh, of your face, what you're spending hours listening to on YouTube, what you're spending hours reading on social media, it is having an effect on you. You are intaking the information and it is forming your thoughts. It is influencing your thinking about particular topics. And I promise you they're not promoting more submission to God. I promise you they're not promoting. uh, Why don't you live closer uh, to the word of God? I promise you they're not promoting. uh, Why don't you take the word of God as truth uh, and discard the word uh, of man? Young lady, this is why you better be careful about the books you're reading. It is media. I don't have time to preach or teach that whole lesson, but it is a medium, the same term used for a witch who is a go-between between the spiritual realm and the earth realm, contacting demonic spirits so that they can communicate with you. Media is often a spiritual medium by which satanic thoughts and satanic influence is transferred to you and you are exposed to it. And so this began to happen. And the society began to accept this normalization, this distortion 
of human identity became more and more normal to see it. Some of us have probably heard the statement or even used it before. She wears the in the family. Where did that statement come from? It is an idea that number one associates authority with wearing the pants, a role that the man of the house fulfills. <laughs> and the fact that she wears the pants in the family is an idea that she has usurped the authority. She has subverted the natural order of authority in the home and no longer is he the authority, but she has become the authority. Do you see the connection uh, between apparel uh, and the gender roles uh, of mankind? Ooh, I, I could preach tonight because I feel I feel a little something in the building. Uh, but there is an order of authority from heaven. Uh, come on, somebody. Uh, the head uh, of the woman uh, is the man. Uh, and the head of the man uh, is Christ. Come on, somebody. Uh, and if you get yourself out of order, uh, you begin to distort uh, the hand and the vision of God for the family. Kathleen Cooper, who is a famous writer in fashion magazine, wrote this. What we will be wearing in the future is harder to predict. Many designers have shown men in skirts, but skirts haven't yet caught on with men. Men's skirts are in the ridicule stage now just as pants were on women 150 years ago. This isn't a Christian magazine. This is a secular fashion magazine. It did take a few decades for women's pants to be socially acceptable after all. Even the fashion world can identify the change to a godless culture over the years. Now, we are so deep into this as a society that it almost doesn't phase us the thought of women wearing pants because society has created the lie that has become society's truth Number one, that it doesn't matter what you wear. And number two is they're women's pants. Well, I wonder what it would be like if I came to church tonight in my wife's dress. I wonder what it would be like if I just showed up to church in a dress. And the moment any of y'all gave me a crazy look, all I had to say was, it's a man's dress. There ain't nothing wrong with it. It's a man's dress. Ain't not one of y'all would still be coming to this church next week. 
you be talking about the, the, the pastor is a cross dresser. And yet we don't think twice about women wearing men's apparel. It's because of societal grooming. Come on, we've been groomed to accept. Oh, come on, I'm preaching to somebody in the building. It wouldn't be acceptable. It would be detestable. I'd, I'd even make headlines in the secular world of news. I mean, Fox News would be out here in CNN talking about the cross-dressing preacher. Because we're at the tail end of desensitizing women wearing men's apparel. But we're just at the beginning of desensitizing men wearing women's apparel. I can't get no help up in here tonight. Because of the efforts of the women's, women's liberation movement, which does not liberate any woman, but puts her in bondage. Real women's liberation comes when you receive the Holy Ghost and God sets you free from the idea of the slavery of the world and empowers you to be the woman that God created you to be, full of power, full of anointing, full of grace. But they have worked to desensitize society. And if you study it, and I don't have time, I could spend two hours going through documented historical information on the women's liberation movement. It is inextricably tied to the lesbian movement. One magazine article said this, Gender fluidity, if you don't know what that means, it means the ability to just kind of go back and forth. Gender fluidity is everywhere in fashion right now. Cross-dressing is now the new dressing up. And it's shaping the industry to be its most exciting period ever. Further, those who adhere to more traditional gender roles in their style are now being labeled as antiquated and outdated. This is what they're writing in the magazine. And if you don't believe it, just let little Susie get the Holy Ghost and go home and tell her parents, I'm not wearing pants anymore. I'm only going to wear women's clothing and watch the reaction about how they start to tease and mock uh, and make fun of her. Oh, you didn't care uh, when she was wearing Daisy Dukes to school uh, and attracting all the men uh, that wanted to rape her uh, and molest. You didn't care about that. You, you didn't care 
care about her when she was walking around with everything, but let her get the Holy Ghost and say, I'm ready to be a woman the way God created. And now all of a sudden, there's a problem. Now, oh, you watch it. I've watched young ladies have to fight all of hell when they make up in their mind. Why? Because the enemy understands that he is losing ground, that you are shaking off the identity of the world and you are putting on the identity that God gave you when he created you. Media, I want you to put up these images. I want you to hear this next article and, and you can see these images behind me as I read this next part of the article. It says, on Monday's Burberry runway, men sported dainty and delicate sheer lace skirts. This comes after Gucci made headlines for unabashedly making its men look consciously feminine. St. Laurent had its men in blouses and high heels for its collection in January. So did Hood by Air earlier this month, where the brand showcased men stomping confidently in open-toed, well-heeled sandals. The author writes this, for me, it's the new normal and it's my truth, said Nicola Formachetti to Mashable of his genderless fashion brand, Nicopanda. Formachetti's own New York Fashion Week show had men in sheer pink tops and matching shorts with others in frilly skirts and dresses. He said, we've become more of an open society around people who are gay, straight, bi, trans, and we're not scared anymore to dress however we want to. If a boy wears a skirt or a dress, why can't he? This is the question that they're asking, and it makes sense because it is the logical question you would ask. If a girl wants to wear pants, why can't she? The next logical question you're gonna hear is, if a boy wants to wear a dress, why can't he? You can't have one without the other. Come on, I need some help up in the building. I said, you can't have one without the other. You can't say it's all right for women to wear men's apparel and yet have a problem with men wearing women's apparel. Nature itself teaches you that there is a problem. I'll tell you what society needs. They need revival. 
They need God's church uh, reaching them, Pastor Parker. Uh, they need God's church uh, showing them uh, that there's a better way, uh, that you don't have to believe uh, the lie of the devil, uh, that you don't have to buy in uh, to the distorted uh, realities of this world. Uh, you are fearfully uh, and wonderfully uh, made by God. And if you're a man, uh, God wants to bless you as uh, a man. Uh, and God has created you uh, to be happy uh, as a man uh, and to sound uh, like a man uh, and think uh, like a man uh, and look uh, like a man. Uh, and if God has created you uh, to be a woman, uh, then he's created you uh, to be a beautiful woman, uh, to think uh, like a woman, uh, to act uh, like a woman, uh, to look uh, like uh, a woman. Today, NBA players from James Harden to Russell Westbrook, I don't know if they play anymore, but the article says they have redefined masculinity. Can I just inform you that nobody has the authority to redefine masculinity? The clay hath no power over the potter. The creation has no power over the creator. You can't redefine femininity. You can't redefine masculinity. No different than you can redefine gravity. No different than you can control the orbit of the earth and the moon and the stars. This says that James Harden, Russell Westbrook have redefined masculinity. Wearing outfits, including skirts, expanding the definition of menswear. Kanye West, the purveyor of cool, once had tongues wagging when he wore a Givenchy kilt on stage for a performance. One article writer said, this trend is not slowing down now or in the near future. He said, rather, it was one that is going through another cycle with a new generation. First, it was women wearing men's apparel. Now the new cycle is men wearing women's apparel and the demonic ideas of gender neutrality and gender reassignment. I'll tell you what it is. It is the work of Satan trying to destroy and distort the nature of God in humanity. The writer goes on to say, this means that if a man so chooses to sport a dress or a skirt out and about, so be it. Because in the very near future, it probably will be the norm. And in some places, it already is. It is the enemy 
trying to induce rebellion against God and create confusion. Gender dysphoria is the new psychological term that they do not want to accept. Gender dysphoria, gender, a simpler way to put it is gender confusion. You want to know what that tells me right off the bat? It's not God. Because God is not the author of confusion. And anywhere confusion is at work, uh, you'll find the fingerprints uh, of the devil uh, at work. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Where did confusion begin? It began when you start dressing women like men and then trying to normalize it. And then dress. You didn't. There was no such thing. There was no pandemic of gender dysphoria 50 years ago, 80 years ago, 100 years. It did not exist. It was created by the confusion of the enemy. When you start dressing people different, they'll start thinking different about themselves. There is a psychological thing that happens. I spent years in corporate America before I went full-time in ministry. And it was an, it was an often talked about thing in, in training and in, in professional development that you dress for the person you want to be. And they would dress you, teach you to dress for success. That was the catchphrase. And literally, there, there's statistics to prove this, but I, I know I've lived it. There's literally something that happens when you get dressed a particular way every day that begins to shift how you think and see yourself in particular roles and situations. You can see this in little kids before they even become adults. Put on that Superman suit on that kid and watch what happens to his psychology. Y'all have heard me tell the story before. When I was little, my, my uncle used to pick me up. I, I was a big Superman fan. And he picked me up over his head and he would fly me through my grandmother's house. And I, I mean, I, in my mind, I was flying. And I can remember, I'd get as stiff as a board, focus. I don't know what yoga pose this is, but that's a good Instagram picture. Focused. He'd fly me around the house. And one day I decided I was taking it to the next level. <clears throat> and I walked up in my grandmama's bathroom and I snatched a towel out of her cupboard and I put that towel on and tied it around my neck and something began to change inside of me just changing my outfit started changing my thoughts 
I could see myself flying. I put that, that cape on and, and, and I believed it so much, I started making a flight plan in my mind. Today's the day. And I'm, I'm gonna, first I'm going to fly to mom's house and show her how cool I am. I could fly. And then I had three of my buddies. I'm going to fly to their house and show my, and I walked out the back door of grandmama's house. And I looked over and I saw the perfect runway, the top of grandpa's garage. And I climbed up the six foot picket fence next to the garage and lurched my way up onto the roof of that old garage. I'm, this is the power of wearing costumes to a little kid. Some of y'all sitting there quiet, but you know they put that karate outfit on you when you was a kid and you thought you were Bruce Lee. Come on, somebody. Come on, why do you think little girls dress up in princess outfits and wear mom's heels and purse and go strutting around the house? Because when you put the clothing on, it does something to... I got up there and I thought all I need is a good running start. I backed all the way up and I took off running as fast as my little legs would carry me across the roof of grandpa's garage. Brother Michael, when I got to the edge of the garage, it was full sand. I launched as far and straight and for just a moment, in my mind, I could hear it. And just as fast as it came, gravity snatched it away. And I was face first. In the dirt. I don't know how I didn't break a bone in my body. But you wonder how we have a society of confused people. Oh, you don't have to tell me. You start teach, telling girls that you can dress like a boy and you normalize it in society. And then you make idols who will purport and be proponents of women dressing like boys. And then you wonder how their psychology, they begin to get dysphoria and they become confused. I've watched parents who are used by the devil because they're living little girl. They, they really wanted a boy, but they had a girl and so they treated her like a little boy, dressed her up like a little boy, and then wondered why she was confused at 14 years old about her gender and who she was supposed to be. It wasn't because God made her that way. It was because the sin of humanity caused confusion. It's because the work of the enemy is to cause confusion Oh, I feel like declaring something uh, in the Holy Ghost tonight. Uh, I don't care what attempt uh, that the enemy made for you uh, when you were a little boy uh, or a little girl. Uh, God wants you to know uh, that you are fearfully uh, and wonderfully uh, made. Uh, and I don't care who lied to you. Uh, I don't care who tried uh, to confuse you. Uh, you are uh, who God said that you are. 
I know I'm taking a little bit of time here, but I feel like it in the Holy Ghost. And then you further that with the enemy exploiting children. And so he gets a little girl and finds a perverted family member or somebody in trust to molest her, to further confuse her sexuality. The little boy molested by some perverted person in his life that to, to try for the enemy to try to further confuse his sexuality in his mind. That's not because it's a God thing and you get, no, it's the work of the enemy. And there's only one thing that can set you free from that kind of confusion. He whom the son has set free is free indeed and the truth I said the truth shall make you free I came to preach to somebody tonight no more confusion no more confusion you are who God said you are you are who God I don't care who hurt you I don't care who messed with you I don't care what happened to you God's blood is greater than your pain. God's blood is greater than your experience. And by the blood of Jesus, you are who God said you are. Truth is greater than your confusion. Bruce Jenner, I'm sorry your name's not Caitlin. I got 10 amens, five Baptist head nods. I don't care if you nickname yourself Winnie the Pooh. When you stand before God, you're going to be Bruce Jenner. And your DNA and your blood is going to testify to the creator that made you. I don't care if the whole world wants to make believe it's okay. I refuse to get caught up in that deception. And it starts with the simplicity of God's word. God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Ye are not your own, but ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God. In your body. Now, let me shift gears here for just a moment tonight. I'm hurrying. It's 9.04 if you're taking medicine. You're four minutes late if you were supposed to take that pill at nine. <clears throat> just take your pill and keep preaching with me. Now, women can wear a dress and be unholy and look unholy. Men can wear pants 
and be unholy and look unholy. Can we talk about it for a few minutes tonight? First Timothy chapter two, verse number nine and 10 says this in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Somebody say modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, gold or pearls, costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Women adorn themselves in modest apparel. What is modest? Well, how many of you remember from the last lesson, there are three ways that God gives us standards. Number one is the word of God. Number two is the man of God. Number three is personal convictions and standards by the Holy Ghost. So what, what is modest? Well, before we say what modest is, let's talk for just a moment about what modest is not. Because there's a popular catchphrase that I've heard over the years in Pentecost that I, that I want to address tonight. And that is this idea that modest is hottest. Oh, Lord, it got quiet. Listen, there is nothing about modesty that is trying to be hot. Mind the right, church? I said there's nothing about modesty that's trying to be hot or sexy. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you shouldn't be trying to be hot and sexy. I'll tell you what you need to do is get in the altar and turn the temperature down. I said you need to get in the before you get burned playing with fire. The only time I find hot in scripture when it says they burned in their lust. Modest is not hottest. You need to save. I mean, think about the word sexy. The root word. That has no place outside of marriage. You need to save hot and sexy for your husband and your wife. Matter of fact, I wish more husbands and wives would get that revelation after they get married. What happened to all that hot and sexy after you got married? Oh, we're going to shift this into a marriage seminar now. You were so worried about it before you got married. What about now? Modesty is not hot or sexy. Those aren't godly traits. If you do it God's way, modesty is the most beautiful thing in the world. 
And beauty, my friend, is way more valuable than hot and sexy. I just need about 200 witnesses in the building. I said, beautiful, hot and sexy uh, ain't got nothing uh, on the beauty uh, of holiness uh, and modesty. Unless you're trying to attract a whoremonger or a fornicator or an adulterer, then hot and sexy works if that's where you're going for. But if you're wanting to be what God called you to be, <laughs> modesty is not about sensual. You can be beautiful and not be sensual. Come on. You can look like fine wine and not be sensual. Lord, help us. Webster's Dictionary of Modest is this. Having or showing regard for the decencies of behavior, speech, dress, etc., Decent, i.e. a modest neckline on a dress. That's Webster. That ain't apostolic. That's Webster. Webster got a little bit better revelation than some people in the church. When it comes to that modest neckline, shouldn't nobody have to pray for you like this in an altar? One time my bishop was preaching about necklines and he said, I don't want to see none of y'all's cleverage. Somebody's like, it's cleavage. He said, not when it's that low, it's cleverage. Here's, here's an excerpt from another dictionary concerning modesty. Exposure of the body in breach of community standards of modesty is also considered to be public indecency. You have to understand the context. Community standards. God's people have a standard. And it's different than the club. And it's different than MTV. And it's different than BET. Come on, and it's different than the girls you go to work with at the office. Particular standards, community standards. <clears throat> First lady worked for years. She ran the criminal division, the 11th district criminal division of the judicial system there in our city for years. And she can tell you that there was a particular community standard of dress. You couldn't just show up in the judges' chambers looking however you wanted to look. You couldn't just show up wearing Daisy Dukes and, you know, flip-flops. The judge would tell you, go home and get some clothes on and show some respect for the courts. Young men, 
You couldn't walk in there with your pants sagging. He tell you, go buy a belt and come see me when you get when you go buy a belt. Oh Lord, I hit something right there. Uh-oh, we're gonna have to go to work. One poet said, let him see your mind, not the crack of your behind. Ain't nothing cool about you showing your underwear to everybody. Ain't nothing cool about that. And there's some young men never had a father to teach them better. Ain't never had nobody to love them better, to teach them to do better. Do you understand that that, I don't know why I'm here, but I am. Do you understand that that, that particular fashion trend started from San Quentin prison in California? It was a riot prevention tactic that the prison guards used. When they would try to control the mass riots, they had an idea. They said, let's give all of them pants that are way too big. And when the riots start, we'll take all their belts away from them. Because it's hard to fight. Holding on to your pants. And so in defiance, these prisoners would just, they just walk around with their pants sagging. The whole rear end hanging out. And you want to know what it attracted? The homosexuals. Oh, you can go study this and look it up when you get home. All the homosexual homosexuality is extremely prevalent in the prison systems. And now the homosexuals were being enticed. And Big Bobo would get out on parole. And didn't have money for new clothes. So he walking around the hood. And somebody thinks Big Bobo's cool. So they start trying to look like him. And before you know it, you got a whole generation of guys walking around with their pants falling off. Showing their underwear. Listen. God made you better than that, young man. God's got something greater for you than that. Come on, I said God's got something greater for you than that. You don't have to try to copy somebody that's living in the basement of life. Set your eyes higher. Get your standards higher. Come on, start looking up. God wants to do something in your life. Come on, nobody, no decent job's gonna wants to hire you. Walking around showing you're behind everybody. Get some clothes that fit. I don't care if you like them a little bit loose, that's cool. But get some clothes that fit. Put a belt on. My God is quiet up in this place. Put a belt on. Be what God called you to be. Amen, somebody. Talking about modesty. How do we get on this? Oh, yeah, young men showing up in the courtroom. There's particular jobs that demand a particular level of appearance and dress. 
because they recognize excellence. In corporate America, there was a particular, I had to go to work every day in a shirt and tie. You couldn't even have facial hair when I first started. You couldn't even have facial hair. Because they recognize the clean-shaven face as a look of cleanliness and trust. And if we understand that in the secular world, why wouldn't we understand that we have a God of excellence? Amen, somebody. Here's what, here's what Wikipedia says. Y'all with me tonight? I'm almost done. Wikipedia, not the Bible. This is what Wikipedia says about modesty. Standards of modesty discourage or forbid exposure of parts of the body, varying between societies, which may include areas of skin, the hair, undergarments, and intimate parts. The standards may also require obscuring, not enhance or reveal the shape of the body or parts of it, by wearing non-form-fitting clothing. There are also customs regarding the changing of clothes, such as on a beach with no enclosed facilities, and the closing or locking of the door when changing or taking a shower. The criteria for acceptable modesty and decency have relaxed continuously in much of the world since the 19th century. With shorter form-fitting, and more revealing clothing. This is the direction the world and society has gone. Let me show you just, just how far we've come in a, in a short amount of time. This next image is from 1868. Put, put that up if you would. From 1868, it's from Harper's Bazaar, which was a woman's fashion publication in 1868 and this was published in the magazine as a guide for the modesty for the length of a girl's dress at four years old it was below the knee and you'll notice as she got older the dress didn't get shorter it got longer oh lord it got longer did you know that when Elvis Presley first started entertaining, that they would not even film him from the waist down because his dance moves were too seductive. Good Lord, they couldn't handle today's dancers. If they thought the jailhouse rock was something. But that's how desensitized we've become. Desensitized. And so, what is the principle? What are, what are the standards? You have the scripture. You have the man of God. And then you have personal convictions that may even take you further than the lines that God has used the man of God to draw in your life. So let's start here with modesty. We don't use our clothing to reveal and accentuate body parts. Now we already know the Bible says women don't wear men's apparel and men don't wear women's apparel. But we should avoid wearing 
form-fitting clothing that accentuates body parts. Oh, this is really good teaching tonight. Or revealing body parts. Young lady, I was always taught, if it ain't for sale, don't put it in the window. Don't put it on display. Young men, if your jeans are so tight that I could see George Washington's hairdo through the quarter that's in your back pocket, your pants are too tight. You got to get rid of them skinny jeans. Come on. I'm not just getting on young men sagging their pants. Some of them go the opposite way. Look like you painted the pants on. Hmm. Women, if your clothing is so tight that you can see the outline of your underclothes, it's too tight. Don't remove the undergarment. <laughs> Wear looser clothes. I had, to, I had to clarify that in today's society. <laughs> Hello. This is how you got to preach in 2022. Loosen the clothes. Good Lord. What is the motive? What are you trying to attract? Now listen, I'm going to tell you one excuse that, that I get tired of hearing from young ladies. Uh, uh, sister so-and-so, clothes are pretty tight, pretty revealing. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I've just been gaining weight. Join the club. If you seriously need some help buying some clothes, come talk to us. But don't use that as an excuse to dress immodest. While you're carrying a Louis Vuitton bag that you could have bought 16 dresses with, Okay, okay. I'll give you one pass to say you were, you were telling the truth. Form-fitting clothes. Why am I preaching like this? Because, because there's, there's carnal apostolic ladies and young ladies who need a man of God to challenge them in their life. Because they're pushing the lines. They're, they're seeing how close to the edge they can live. How, how far can I push it and technically still be? Why do we want to live on the edge of the world? Uh, I'm not trying to see how close to the world I can live and still be considered holy. No, I want to run as close as I can uh, to please my God. Come on, somebody. 
Did you know that, that God frowns on people who are a stumbling block to their brother and sister? You don't want to be walking around being a stumbling block to somebody else in church. Young man trying to come in off the world and pray through. And, and here he's got to, to deal with this kind of a thing in the church. Shirts that are so tight-fitting. You need to let them see Jesus, not your flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29 says that no flesh shall glory in his presence. We already talked about exposing the body. Young ladies, things that are valuable stay covered up and hidden. Let's talk a little bit about sleeve length. What's, what's modest? What, what's modest? Where, where do we... We don't have a verse, Brother Eddie, that says, we don't have one of those pictures like that in my Bible. I couldn't find it anywhere. But God gave us principles and he gave us a man of God to draw lines. Amen. And so what's, what's modest when it comes to sleeve lengths? Well, your elbow is a natural breaking point, a bend in your, in your arm. It's a natural transition in your arm. And so if your shirt covers your elbow, then when you are moving around and whatever else happens, you're covering the whole upper part of your arm. If you're wearing a shorter sleeve, especially if it's baggy and you're moving your arms or what, you could see right up your shirt. Is that plain enough for everybody in the building? So a good standard is wear a shirt that at least covers your elbow. That, that, that's considered modest. Amen? Let's talk about skirts, dresses, dress length. Your knee, ladies, is a natural break transition point in your leg. And so if you wear your dresses to cover your knees. Then when you sit down, your knees should be covered. Let me explain. Bring me that chair, brother. Just sit it right here. If you got your dress and it is so close on your knee, when you sit down, you get nervous. You got to think twice. Uh-oh. It's too short. See, if you're wearing your dress below your knees when you're sitting down and it covers your knees, guess what else it's covering? 
Did you know biblically that the thigh is considered nakedness? Revealing the thigh? That even the priests could not go into the presence of God with their thigh uncovered? It was a form of nakedness. So if you're sitting down and your skirt's covering your knee, then when you stand up, you probably even got some more length that goes below it. And what about the back of the dress? Because it doesn't matter if your knees are covered and in the black back you're playing peekaboo. And you got a slit all the way to North Korea. When you walk, peekaboo, peekaboo, peekaboo. So if you have a slit on your dress or skirt to help increase mobility, then your slit should be below the back of your knee when you're standing. That's modest. And the church said, let the church say amen. <laughs> amen, somebody. And if you want the biblical reference, Exodus 28, 42 through 43, talking about the linen breeches covering the nakedness, et cetera, et cetera. Men, what's modest with our pants? Well, number one, make sure they cover your behind. Showing your underwear is indecent exposure. The young lady was showing her underclothes. Say, we got a problem, Houston. Cover your rear end with your pants. They don't have to be too big or too small. Just get them to fit. I can't find pants that fit. Welcome to the club. Go spend $6. I got a hookup with, with Uncle Tito in the hood for six bucks. He'll fix your pants up, all right? Cut them, trim them, make them look all right. And your pants should be all the way down to your full, full pants, not shorts. Did you know that prior to the, probably the 1940s, there was no such thing as shorts? Shorts were Underwear. You didn't walk out in, now they, they try to call them short pants. No such thing. It's like wearing underwear out in public. And so we don't wear short pants. We stay modest. We cover our legs, men. Hello, somebody. That's modest. Now, I'm going to say this because I've been asked enough times that I'm just going to put this out here. Pajamas. Now I know this sounds crazy. Just hear me out. If you're at home in your private privacy of your house, okay, now, you decide you just want to be native. Hey, you ain't in front of nobody. You're at home. You're private. 
But there's a difference between that and defying the word of God. And it don't matter if you're in your home or wherever you are, we never defy God's word. So, so, it, it would be awkward if y'all found out that I was like this here, but at home, I cruised the dress around. Y'all would say, ooh, some problems. Even if, and, and what if I said, hey, it's my house. It don't matter what I wear. If I want to wear a dress, I wear a dress. Y'all would be like, eh, got some issues, right? That's different than me just saying, hey, you know what? I just got out of bed. And I'm just going to stay like this the rest of the day. So the, the, the vice versa is I wouldn't condone a woman wearing pants as pajamas, even in her own home. Pants are pants. In your house, out of your house. Amen. Man, that's good teaching. Y'all doing all right? I promise you I'm almost done. Man, I say the best for last. Music, come and give them some hope. I'm going to talk about this last, this last item tonight. We're going to talk about leggings. So the idea behind leggings is that there might be times when, when a woman needs to add a layer of, of modesty because of maybe some highly physical activity she might be engaging in. Maybe she's going running, jogging. Most of the time not, but let's just say. Or maybe she's going to go ride a horse or on the back of her husband's Harley or whatever. And she said, you know what? I want to make sure I'm covered. So she puts an extra layer of undergarment. It's okay. Where the problem comes is when you put pants on it as an undergarment. Because pants are pants. And just because you wore them under your dress doesn't make them not pants. I'm wearing a dress under my suit. All you got to do is flip the gender around to, 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 to make it make sense. You would say it's not appropriate. So what does a woman do if she needs something of that kind of apparel to increase her modesty? There's a couple of ways to go about it, okay? And, I, and here's what the Bible says in the book of Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There's some reasonable things you can do. You could use the undergarment that does not exceed the length of your dress. Kind of like they would call that long underwear or something, I guess. I don't know. But I've seen women who do that. And so if you're looking at the lady, it does not look like she's wearing pants underneath a dress. She just has extended coverage 
so that if for some reason her dress happens to go up, etc., she's covered. Reasonable? It's reasonable. Or maybe you're in frigid cold weather. You're wanting to add an extra layer of warmth. Then you could use the undergarment like hosiery. Hosiery goes all the way down past the ankles and in most cases around the feet and covers the entire bottom part, in which case you would not be wearing pants. It would be a kind of an undergarment. But when what you're wearing underneath stops here or here or here or here, you're just wearing pants underneath the dress. And I'm just telling you, we live in a society that is so in your face that I don't want there to be any question about my commitments to the principles of God. Amen, somebody? Is that reasonable? Amen. Let's stand all over the place. No more confusion. Amen. How many of you want to be everything that God's called you to be? How many of you want to walk in a life of holiness unto God? I tell you what we ought to do. It's 938, but we ought to take about three or four minutes and come down to the front of this house with our hands lifted tonight for just a moment in his presence and just settle the word of God in our spirit and say, all right, God, I want to be everything you've called me to be. I want to walk in submission to the Holy Ghost. I want to walk in obedience to your word. Come on, would you lift your neck? Would you lift your hands tonight? Come on, for just a few moments. For just a few moments tonight. Come on, lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. Come on, I've got to be holy. Yes, Jesus. For me.
Yes. <laughs>